This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Save a Pooch on Pet Life Radio. Thank you for listening in today. I am Beverly Isla, your host. In this episode, we welcome W.B. Murph, the creative mind behind the children's book, Molly's Miracle, a chosen dog, not a broken dog. Through this book, Murph, a former veterinary nurse, shares the remarkable journey of Molly, a lovable beagle whose experiences mirror the harsh reality of animal neglect. So I look forward to hearing about the inspiration and the creative process behind Molly's Miracle and how Molly's journey serves as an inspiration for readers of all ages. So when we get back from these messages, we will hear from author W.B. Murph. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Save a Pooch. We are talking with W.B. Murph, the author and mastermind behind the children's book, Molly's Miracle, a chosen dog, not a broken dog. So I appreciate you taking the time today to talk about your recent book release and congratulations, by the way. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So what inspired you to write Molly's Miracle and how did you decide to tell the story from, um, well, a beagle's perspective? So I work with a rescue in South Carolina called Rescue Coop. They take imminent euthanasia cases only, um, generally with severe medical needs. They treat them and they rehome them nationwide where there's more homes available. And what happened was they adopted a bloodhound to a family with a beautiful golden-haired little girl. She was about three to five years old. And they showed the adoption picture and her eyes were so bright and her smile was so eager and i imagined her sneaking snacks to her her new dog and playing fetch and there was a whole world of possibility in that little girl's smile the next day the parents of the little girl turned the dog back into rescue saying only that they didn't think it through since i have no other discernible talent <laughs> And I was desperate to provide some kind of an acceptable example for children like this girl. I wrote Molly's Miracle. It's written from the Beagle's perspective primarily because that's where my heart lies, where my understanding is. I get dogs. I don't get humans so much. I can relate. Yep. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Like, can you share some real life events that served as the foundation for Molly's journey? Sure. Molly is a real dog. She's our dog. She was found by our local humane society on the streets and she was only six months old. Um, I had just lost my 
Soul Dog Oscar a month earlier. And I saw her on the website and she looked so dismayed and broken. We went down to the Humane Society and we adopted her. But to my dismay, we found that this little dog was not only broken emotionally, but physically as well. Her leg had been broken at some point and healed improperly, which caused severe elbow dysplasia. But more important than that, her spirit was just completely shattered. She never barked. She never played. She rarely even lifted her head up. If you would pick her up, she would just freeze, completely freeze and not move at all. When I think of Molly the Beagle in Molly's Miracle, I always think of my Molly Moo and what it must be like to be so broken. How much of that narrative is like reality versus fiction? Well, I mean, the thread is reality because that was what I was familiar with. But the narrative right, um, right. had to had to sound as if Molly were actually living that story. And I knew that kind of a story, not only from Molly, but also from in the veterinary world, you see this time and time and time again. So, but right. the human characters in the book, I needed them to be purely fictional because they needed to be used as foils because Molly is weak. Molly is unhappy. Molly is unsure. And Molly is broken. So Mandy has to be strong. She has to be confident. Molly is kind. So her original family system needed to be cruel. And I wanted the villains to be not too terribly frightening for children so in terms of illustrations they need to be kind of you know cartoonish and that but so the thread is my experiences in reality but my own molly she has not yet had her leg amputated and it's a different leg that's injured and you know there's a lot of yeah there's a lot of things that aren't reality at least not at this point in time okay great maybe for those that um would be interested in reading the book, book. Maybe you could explain a little bit, maybe like a synopsis of the main struggle and uh, Mandy. Sure. So Molly is a uh, young beagle. Her family loved her when she was a puppy, but as often happens in reality, they became bored with her. She became a pest and a nuisance. They started to treat her a little bit rough. You have a little bit of more cartoonish violence in the book. Uh, Violence is a strong word, but neglect, I guess. One of the little boys in the family throws a Lego at Molly. She escapes out the front door, but she is injured in the escape. Uh, And she does have to live on the streets for a brief period of time where she has to just kind of subsist as best she can. So um, there are a couple of cartoony restaurant owners that chase her. But ultimately, she finds herself in the hands of the very kind shelter system and who is really concerned with her well-being. So she does have to have her leg amputated. That isn't really described in the book because I don't think it's appropriate for younger children. And then she's put up for adoption and she is found by Mandy. Mandy is broken in her own way, but Mandy, unlike Molly, is very confident, very secure, very sure of everything that she brings to the world. And so it's her 
position in the book to teach Molly that Molly is fine just the way she is. Okay. Well, I, I, what I like is the powerful message of the book is, is about second chances. Can you elaborate on how Molly's story reflects the resilience of animals and maybe the impact of compassion? Yeah, sure. The real Molly, she took us two years to transform. She would go to the bathroom in her crate. She would be terrified of all loud sounds. Whenever she was afraid, she would run away and hide somewhere. And it took us two years, but we never gave up because every day we saw just a little bit of improvement. So first she started to meet our gaze instead of turning away. And then she started to take food from our hands. Then she would sit on the couch with us voluntarily. A lot of people think that animals are unable to remember, but that's not true. The difference between animals and humans is that animals can choose to forget what's been done to mm. them and become companions to humans again. So the road from broken to transformed, it's long. And what makes the largest difference for the dog is our attitude, our love, our compassion, our dedication to helping them. Because to help them to become the dog that exists inside of them before they were broken by whatever happened. I love that. I love that. That dogs choose to let go of resentment. All oh, the lessons we can learn from them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you're a former veterinary nurse. Right. How did your experiences shape the themes around this book? You me you did mention you have a lot of experience with, with rescues, and I love that. So God bless sure, you. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, I work with rescues. Uh, but as a veterinary nurse, I, this is not the first time I've been asked this question, and I always think of Clyde. And this is an example of what I did. I, have, I am very fortunate to be in a position where we as a family don't have to struggle financially. And I know that I'm very fortunate. So many times I personally paid for dogs that came in that needed life-saving wow. treatment that had loving owners who simply could not afford it. And the dog I think of always is a little red dachshund. His name was Clyde and his sister was, and Clyde came in dying of immune mediated hemolytic anemia. It's where the blood cells kind of um, collapse, if you will. And it's the immune system attacking the blood cells. So when I, I was working up front that day, and when I saw the owner turning around to leave with him, I knew that it hadn't gone well in the back because I knew that that dog was very, very sick. So I ran outside and I caught her and I spoke to her and she flat could not afford the treatment that would save Clyde's, Clyde's life, let alone the follow-up treatments. And she was crying and she asked me, could any charities help her? And I knew that the chances that any charity could help Clyde in time for him to live would be close to nothing. So I spoke to my oh. veterinarian and I paid Clyde's original bill. And then over time, as the owner kept coming in for follow-up treatments once we saved his life I kind of took that owner under my wing she's very young and I taught her to save just a small amount every month a dollar two dollars just her change even any amount for her dogs so that when she needed it 
she would never be so desperate again that she could pay nothing at all. Because I know from personal experience, a lot of vets are willing to work with you. If you can pay at least something, they'll work it out with you. Clyde and his owner remained a, a clients of the hospital for many, many years. And it's a funny little aside story that Clyde would bite anyone and everyone who would come anywhere near him. <laughs> except for me. he never touched me he never he growled at me nothing yeah i do i do think he understood that i had his best interests at heart that's amazing oh well thank you thank you for doing that out of the goodness of your heart we're just going to have a quick break and when we get back we'll continue talking with the author behind the children's book molly's miracle chosen dog not a broken dog Molly, here's your dinner. <coughs> Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your cat tree tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Save the Pooch. We are talking with author and former veterinary nurse, W.P. Murph. So yeah, just before the break, we were talking about the goodness that you have done for, for the dog. And that reminds me that what is your opinion on the importance of um, insurance? Like, what are, what are your thoughts on that since you do come from... Insurance is essential. Before I was a veterinary nurse, I actually worked in insurance. Not, veter- not, oh. not property insurance, though, car insurance. <laughs> so I have a very odd perspective okay, on this. <laughs> My okay. perspective on this is that insurance is essential if you know for a fact... I used to work with a rescue, coast-to-coast dachshund rescue, and I would go into, dachshunds have bad backs, all dachshunds. Some of them never manifest it, but all of them have it. And I would always go into prospective homes and say, do you have $10,000 in the bank right now today to pay for this dog's impending back surgery? If the answer was no, my answer was always, then you need to have insurance. But the only thing you need to be cautious of is, if you get insurance, read the sample policy. A lot of people go into getting insurance and they think, well, it's going to cover shots, va- vaccinations, and ear cleanings. No, it doesn't cover any of that stuff. It can in certain instances, but normally no. So you need to read the policy. You need to understand what you're buying and you need to know if it's going to meet your needs. So too many people are caught off guard when they find out For example, some insurance companies think of back injuries and back disease in dachshunds as genetic, even though there's no known genetic link yet. Other Mm -hmm. companies say, no, it's not genetic. So you need to know if you own a dachshund, you have to make it your business to know. But yeah, I think 
insurance is essential if you do not have the savings to pay for it. If you have enough savings, there's no need to get it. Just pay it out of your savings. It's fine unless you want to. Gotcha. Okay. Thank you for clearing that up because it's always a question with a lot of people that I come across. So thank oh, sure. you. Now, now back to your features. Feature story. <laughs> <laughs> As an author, what role do you see storytelling playing and fostering empathy with which I think is crucially needed in in rescuing dogs as well as compassion. Yeah, actually children do not develop empathy until they're at least around 4 years old, 4 to 5 years old, they have no empathy. They don't uh, hey. their brains are not capable. I see books, especially books like this one which challenge a child a little bit that it gives them the opportunity, it gives them a safe space where they can examine their own emotions and the emotions of the children, of the characters in the book, while still understanding this is just a story. It's not real. And mm -hmm. so that's true for all stories, no matter the story's um, subject matter. But this is particularly true for those stories that are written from the perspective of a child or of an animal because they are inherently vulnerable creatures and they are particularly adept at therefore creating empathy in others so too often we shelter children where we ought to be challenging them and we challenge them where we ought to be sheltering them and stories are a safe space to challenge your children and teach them how in the future they can be champions of social justice for dogs or whatever their cause is. It doesn't matter to me what the cause is. In my case, it's dogs. But they can be a champion for those animals if they learn from the start that these animals have real concrete verifiable feelings and a story is a safe way to show them that oh i like that perspective oh i really like that perspective i never thought about it that way and i did not, not know that children did not have they're not their brains aren't developed for empathy until that age no and it only starts at age four it does not complete the production of the feeling of empathy doesn't finish until late adolescence which is why you see children wow. doing some stuff that you're like what in the world <laughs> that's why <laughs> they're just not fully formed yet noted well i learned something <laughs> now in terms of like encouraging adults or even um those that work in the animal shelters how do you hope the book encourages them to support well i wrote the book with a specific cause in mind which was um everybody who buys the book online and they choose the rescue coop edition i send a copy of the paperback version of the book to rescue coop to give out to their adopters oh so my hope is that in the future i can maybe expand that to more rescues i'm trying to work with here locally with humane society of the pikes peak region to try and do some book signings down there anything also with a couple different school districts to come in and do some readings anything that encourages people to use the shelter system to appreciate the shelter system and that in turn because i think if we 
teach people that the shelters, not just rescues, but the shelters as well, public shelters, provide an invaluable service. They then get more donations, more fosters, more supplies, more services, more funding, because their people, the people who live in that community know the value of that system. So that's the way I really hope that I can help rescues and shelters is to raise awareness of the work they do and how incredibly important it is. Hmm. Well, you may just have your next book's topic, no? <laughs> Actually, I have three more written that aren't released. <laughs> They're written and illustrated, so I already know the next three books. <laughs> Ooh, what's the next one? Give us a teaser on the next book. The next one is going to be Daisy's Daydream. And it's a lifelong homeless dog. It's based on my Daisy again. She was rescued by Rescue Coop from the a high kill shelter, but she was a stray and they think she was a lifelong stray. And it's kind of the story of the 333 rule of dog rescue, which is given three days to stop being shut down, three weeks to start to understand what the routine of the house is and three months, and that's a minimum, three months before they are becoming the dog that they will ultimately be. It's my opinion that no dog should be thrown away before it has been in a home for at least three months because you have no idea how that dog's going to turn out based on the first few weeks that you have it. So Daisy's Ooh. story is the story of a dog that um, chews up the remote control, pees on the floor, barks all night long. <laughs> and it's a little more joyful and a little less serious than Molly's Miracle, but still has a very powerful message about how we can help particularly rescue dogs. But that is true of every dog, not just rescue dogs. Right. All dogs need For that sure. time. How we can help them to acclimatized to a human world which is not their native so that's the exactly i like that rule three 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 keeps it simple three 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 yeah <laughs> now daisy is is also a real dog you have daisy is my foxhound yeah she's a she's a foxhound maybe a foxhound mix i'm not sure i think a purebred foxhound though she's um she was saved by rescue coop in south carolina and she was she had obviously bred many, many, many times, um, and she had some behaviors that made them think that she was a lifelong stray picked up by animal control, and unfortunately, the animal control where she was picked up is, is not one of the better ones, and so their policy is to hold the dog for seven days and then euthanize. Wow. So they're not, yeah, they're not the kind of place. So Rescue Coop gets a lot of their dogs from that shelter because they are all in imminent danger of euthanasia. As a matter of fact, I was a little bit, I, the, the reason I was less than well prepared with the Zoom meeting is I was trying to save a dog at Rocky Mount. I'm trying to get a, a placement, a foster placement for a dog at Rocky Mount whose time is up today. So, oh no. Well, I yeah, wish you all yeah. the best in, in that in that scenario. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. Your, your work is really commendable. So thank you for doing that. So we are out of time. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks to our show producer, Mark Winter, for making the show possible. So you can follow Murph's work at murphrights.com, um, as well as the, her social media, which will also be on the show notes page. 
Again, Murph, thank you, thank you. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for a show, please email me at beverly at petliferadio.com. So until next time, spread animal compassion. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.